0: Welcome to Interchain FM, where we dive into the frontier of the blockchain space. We're now in the third generation of blockchain tech, where a burgeoning multi chain ecosystem is about to explode into what we call the decentralized web. Where Ethereum is to the mainframe computing era of the internet, Cosmos is to the PC era. If you're seeking alpha in the Cosmos ecosystem, look no further. This is the destination for your exponential learning experience. Interchain FM is where you can get the download on all of the High Signal projects, building bridges to one another, and how you can participate in the future of the internet. Welcome to the podcast, Larry and Jose. You guys are here from Delphi Digital. Can you tell me about your background and what got you into crypto initially?
1: I came from a natural science background. I did a PhD in biochemistry. I didn't graduate, but at some point I started investing in crypto, mostly because I feel it had a much better risk reward profile than stock market, et cetera. And over time, I started programming on it myself and just got hired and ended up where I am now. And Jose?
2: I started off in my teens with professional kind of Poker player, ended up playing some of the highest stakes online. That's kind of how I got into the game theory and things side of things. Then went to university, studied um, philosophy and economics and started a couple of businesses while at university. Most of them were like your typical kind of startup fails. And then one of them ended up was an e-commerce business that ended up kind of selling to a big um, wholesaler in, in London. And then pretty much at the same time, kind of came across crypto, uh, fell down the rabbit hole. Started working in the space in in early 2017, and have have kind of been there ever since. The most of the focus was on token economics for for the first few years, just because that's where my interests lay, with like the econ and, and kind of game theory background. Did a lot of cool work there and a lot a lot of cool research there with Delphi. With Delphi Labs, we we started off kind of that's what we did. We did token econ consulting, where we worked with people like Axie Infinity and Synthetics and Aave and Compound Balancer, a bunch of top projects in the space. And then at some point we decided to to stop doing that and really focus on building out our own projects and contribute to projects more from the ground up. That was kind of a year ago, started off doing that and kind of Mars and Astroport are sort of the two projects that I guess we have contributed the most to, but then there are also others that we advise and and help. Labs is now we're we're around. So at Delphi overall, we're about 120 between ventures, research and, and labs. And then labs itself is, is around 50 people. So mostly developers, but also sort of economists, product people, a risk team, you know, lawyers now as well. So it's been fun.
0: Can you quickly elaborate about the different branches in Delphi again, and go into more detail about what each is responsible for? I mean, venture yeah. sounds pretty, um pretty self-explanatory, but.
2: So research is how we, we started off. So just kind of institutional-grade research on various projects and and protocols in the space. So uh, it's a kind of a a subscription business, and that's probably how most people have have heard of us. So that's kind of that. And it's sort of the core of Delphi, right? We're a very research-oriented organization. Uh, We have kind of 40 or so full-time researchers focused on different parts of the space from different layer one ecosystems to DeFi to Web3 to, to all sorts of stuff like that. And then Ventures is our investing arm, where we don't have any outside capital, so it's all our own money, kind of the money of the seven founders. We have Labs, which is started off as our as our consulting arm, where which kind of paid the bills in the bear market, and then moved to being our building and kind of software development arm where we're basically contributing to different projects in the space.
0: Ventures is the one that had seeded Axie Infinity, right? And that was kind of your zero-to-one moment. Can you talk about that?
2: So yeah, Axie Infinity, actually we worked with, Via uh, labs, although labs didn't exist at the time, but we did. We consulted with them, and then we also invested in them via ventures. And that was definitely our zero to one moment. We were very excited about that, and I think it's our our sort of biggest winner on the on the venture side.
0: Is there a story there? How did they identify Axie Infinity and say, ah, this is the next bet that I'm going to make? You know, before Axie, there wasn't even this concept of play to earn. And then now it's just the thing that everybody is pitching investors.
2: So actually, uh, it's funny, the Delphi's first consulting gig back in, I think it was in 2018, was uh, to do a deep dive into like crypto gaming projects. So at the time, there, there wasn't that much happening, but the team did the research and Axie came up as like the number one name that was doing most exciting stuff. Even in 2018, they already had like a, a really cool community and, and, and stuff going on. So kind of knew about them from that and then got approached to design the token because we'd already been working on token econ for a lot of, kind of projects in the space and really got to know the project and the, and the team through that. And kind of understood the potential of, I guess, like I'm not as involved on the gaming side anymore. So like my uh, partners, Jan and and, and Piers and, and Ryan Fu could speak much more eloquently about this. But uh, we understood the potential of, we'd call it probably play and earn or, or play fire rather than play to earn. because I think there are some flaws of play to earn and like critics often kind of stand up these straw mans about play to earn that aren't really what, what we're excited about and, and what we invested in. We just got really excited about, we're all gamers as well. So we just got really excited about the potential of of kind of user owned economies and like building in these incentives into the game layer and later on, even stuff like on chain games and and stuff like that. Like we think gaming is the crypto use case that's going to end up bringing in like mass market and that, that makes most sense.
0: How do you imagine this industry evolving where gaming might be the killer application of blockchain tech? How does the blockchain come in and how does that provide some sort of distinct advantage for gaming? I guess it would be in the marketplace.
2: It's a really good question. There's different levels of, of how that can be done. And again, I'm definitely not the most uh, well-versed person at, at Delphi on this. I, I spent the last like, 18 months just focused on, on building stuff and building DeFi. So like, that's the bit that I can speak to more, more eloquently. But I think, yeah, high level, there's a bunch of different ways. I think one of them that's often underrated is just like the ease of like creating a new business model for indie game devs, where game developers actually have like a pretty horrible life at traditional gaming companies. Like we have partners who who pretty in the industry and it's like very hard deadlines, not great pay. And indie game devs have a really hard time. I think blockchain creates like a really good sort of business model for that. And it also has like, we've seen a bunch of kind of the top devs from from traditional world, including like founders of EVE Online, founders of League of Legends, all kind of make moves into crypto gaming. The other part is sort of being able to own the assets in the game yourself. Although obviously there's some like, you might own the assets but the game has to sort of honor the experience that's attached to those assets right so that there's always a, a point of centralization and that's where kind of unchained gaming gets interesting and also like open source games where you can kind of have these forks where you kind of keep the assets but that's i think something for later on and then i do think like players being able to own sort of part of the value of the game that they're playing and building towards and being able to earn that value by playing and by by becoming more skilled i think is is a huge part of this from my perspective I also think blockchain is really useful at creating new business models for like eSports. We recently had Brooks on our podcast, he's building a game called Noor on a Disruptor series and he talks about this. For me, the most interesting games are kind of the most skillful and and those are also the most meaningful. And I think uh, crypto can create like a really interesting business model for those games. Again, like I'm uh, not the most eloquent person on this, so I'll just leave it there, I think for now.
0: Let's go back to what you guys are, are working on, right? Which is Mars Protocol. Tell us more about that.
2: The base of Mars Protocol is kind of a, a money market, similar to one you'd understand, like Aave or Compound, where users can come in, deposit their assets, and use them as collateral to take out loans, right? Over collateralized loans. But the big kind of uh, inside of, of Mars Protocol, I guess, is that those protocols are, are naturally kind of capital inefficient because you can only uh, borrow less than what you put in. Because you can take the money that you borrow anywhere, they can never give you more than what you put in as collateral because there's no incentive for you to ever pay it back. Whereas what we see with like centralized exchanges that offer like ten x and hundred x leverage, the reason they can do that is because they're they're effectively like custodying the assets, right? And they can liquidate you if the position moves against you. Mars creates this primitive called contract lending or contract to contract lending which is the idea that you have a pool of assets and it's not just users who who have deposits on the platform that can borrow from it. You can also have a smart contract that effectively applies for a credit line from Mars Protocol, which if approved, allows it to pull, to effectively borrow from that pool. And so one initial use case for this is like leverage deal farming. And you can think of what Alpha was doing, Alpha Hamara was doing on Ethereum as kind of an example of this, where they had their IB ETH pools, right? Which was like the kind of money market side, And then you had leveraged yield farmers on the other side. Yeah, exactly. Interest bearing ETH on one side, which is kind of their money market. And then you had the leveraged yield farmers who would come in and borrow that ETH in order to farm. And that was effectively the leveraged yield farming contract is borrowing from the money market, right? And that creates much higher efficiency because you can technically offer as much leverage as as sort of your ability to liquidate. Like you could do margin trading with this architecture. You can do leveraged yield farming. Someone could come in and build something like a decentralized FTX or, or Binance on top which combines different margin positions into one account. You can do leverage staking. It basically means that any protocol which needs leverage can use Mars rather than having to kind of build their own money market. I think that's the the kind of core innovation behind Mars from my perspective, is just to allow far deeper capital efficiency by making it so that if you think about it in traditional money markets, the only people that can uh, borrow are lenders, right? You have to be a depositor to be able to borrow. So it's kind of like if to a, in, in, in Airbnb, you had to be a host as well, right? To use Airbnb, you had to be a host as well. Whereas what Mars opens up is the ability for non-depositors to also be able to borrow and to kind of borrow for a bunch of different use cases.
1: Just want to add that our, we have created a like a proof of concept leverage protocol called Fields of Mars that utilizes uncollateralized lending from Mars protocol that operates on a number of yield farms on Terra before it crashed, and it worked. Pretty well. And even during the terror crash, which was quite unfortunate, it worked very well, liquidating all the users and kept the whole protocol solvent. So everything worked as intended in a very antagonist, like totally apocalyptic situation, I should say. So definitely sorry for those who are liquidated, but the protocol, like at least the fields of Mars part worked like pretty remarkably well.
0: What was the recovery plan afterwards? You guys built on Terra. Things worked, but it was sort of like existential crisis that you guys were facing with the collapse of the Terra stablecoin as well as the entire chain itself because there was no value collateralizing the Terra blockchain as Luna went down to zero. So how did you guys figure out a recovery plan and what did that look like and how did that lead you to osmosis?
2: In terms of recovery plan, there was no uh, bad debt on the protocol, actually, like liquidations functioned as normal. There was a lot of like war rooming going on that maybe Larry can, can go into. There was kind of a vote to unlock lock drop deposits, which were people that had locked UST for, for up to 12 months. So they could take that out and, and sell it or migrate it to the new network. But there was no bad debt or recovery plan in that way. What we did have was, like you said, kind of figuring out what to do as, as next steps and where we wanted to go. Our vision for DeFi and how we were building or how we were contributing to Mars and Astroport was of uh, sort of an integrated DeFi experience, right? And for me, I don't think users uh, eventually will want to go to one place to trade, somewhere else to, to lend and borrow. They don't want to go to Uniswap to trade, go to Aave to lend and borrow, go Perpetual Protocol to trade perps, you know, go to, to Balancer to do LVPs. Like, they want to have it all in one place and have like this integrated DeFi experience. And I think there's a few people building towards that. And that was sort of our vision of how we thought DeFi should progress and what we were kind of pushing for on, on Terra, where you needed these key primitives. You need the lending protocol and with the contract-to-contract lending, you needed the AMM. And then when you have those two primitives, you can kind of create this like credit account, which was an idea we were working on. If you're familiar with Gearbox or if your listeners are familiar with Gearbox on Ethereum, that's kind of a, a similar primitive. which like, just you elaborate you- on that? Yeah. So... The user experience is basically, think about it like you come in, you deposit, let's say $100 of a stable coin and you're given $500 of a stable coin that you can use to trade. But rather than being able to, to take that anywhere and, and do anything with it, you can only interact with whitelisted applications, right? So for example, you might be able to use it to buy certain tokens on an AMM or to LP into certain pools on an AMM or to do certain staking, to stake, buy certain staking derivatives or whatever it might be. What it does is this credit account like calculates a a health factor formula, which basically takes into account all your assets, right? It's like collateral over debt. And for all your collateral assets, it applies a multiplier to them based on the the riskiness of them. And then it can calculate like a health factor for your whole account. And you can have one liquidation point on the account, which means that you can sort of have leverage at the credit account level. And then you can use that to interact with a bunch of whitelisted DeFi applications. So it's effectively creating like this kind of centralized exchange account primitive, right? Or like a sub-account on FTX and you can create multiple of them. We were going to make them an NFT and have them like equipable on your, on your PFP and stuff like that. So you can have like social training. There's a bunch of cool ideas that you can do with it, but that's the basic idea. Is Once you have a money market with this primitive of contract lending and you have like an AMM, you can kind of combine them to create this new primitive of a, of a credit account. And then obviously you, you can add more sort of uh, Lego pieces to this credit account because it'll just be like a governance process to whitelist different assets. So you could add perps to this credit account, or you, you could add certain, you know, launchpad projects to, the, to this credit account, and it becomes more and more useful. That was sort of the, the vision. We realized there was a few projects building towards it, but I think Osmosis was the team that we spoke to that we most clicked with in terms of super smart team, very technical, and also had the same vision of this, of this app chain. I personally actually was, was surprised by that because I thought Osmosis was the AMM chain, right? Like the Cosmos app chain, like AMM chain. But when I spoke to Sunny. I realized that he saw AMM not as like just purely exchange, but like the broad vision of an exchange like finance, right? Where you can do spot, you can do margin, you can do perps, you have launchpad. And so realized we were relying on that vision. And and rather than trying to do it on sort of our own app chain, we could try and do it together on, on osmosis. And then we always had this idea and and I'll let Larry go into this because it's his baby, but we we always had this idea of the Mars app chain sort of being the, the optimal design for a money market because a money market really needs to be wherever there's demand for leverage, right? Any chain that has yield or that has leverage trading opportunities or that has demand for leverage, a money market needs to be there. And so there needs to be outposts on several chains, similar to what Aave is, is doing. But like ideally, there, there should be some hub that kind of moves liquidity around these chains to sort of optimize utilization and to make sure the capital is wherever it needs to be both for to satisfy borrowing demand and also for like safety reasons. For instance, if there's like a terrorist situation, right, where you need where utilization hits 100 percent and you can't liquidate. So I answered like osmosis and Mars chain. So I'll let Larry jump in on, on on this as well.
1: First of all, the idea of Mars chain was coined by Sunny, not me. So credit to him. So the idea of a Mars chain. Well, to explain that, we first think about those OG Ethereum lending protocols like Aave and Compound. Right. So what they do is. There are multiple EVM chains, and they can, and basically what they do is they deploy a copy of their protocol on each of those EVM chains. So you might have Ave on Ethereum L1, you might have the same Ave on Polygon, you have the same one on Avalanche. And these copies of the same protocol, they don't necessarily share their liquidity. So you might have a bunch of USDC on Ethereum that, say, nobody wants to borrow, but you might have some USDC on Polygon that lots of people wants to borrow and are in very short supply, right? So in that case, this will be quite inefficient. You need some smart market makers to, to do their things and move liquidity between these chains. And so they are not automatic and the liquidity is fragmented, very inefficient. There has been multiple efforts to solve this, it's like Aave in their v3 created a I forgot their name, but it's some sort of hub that can transfer liquidity between chains. Compound tried to build their own chain, but they ultimately gave up. UMI is a good attempt. Uh, So the architecture is they're going to have an app chain that has a money market sitting on top of it. And all the liquidity gets transferred to UMI chain and all the borrowing and lendings happen on UMI chain. That was the model that I initially wanted to go for, but after some chats with Sunny and other Osmosis developers, what they pointed out was that UMI's design make it kind of difficult for protocols to integrate. And the reason is this, let's say you have a protocol on Osmosis and wants to borrow some money from Mars protocol. Let's consider if Mars lending market sits on a different chain. So what happens is, the Osmosis protocol needs to first post a transaction to Osmosis IBC module. Basically, they are borrowing requests. It will post that message to the IBC module and every layer will pick that up and relay that to the UMI chain. So UMI will see that message, execute it, and send the asset back to Osmosis. And every layer will pick up that message, relay it back to Osmosis. So the whole process, you need three block confirmations at least one block of the initial request on osmosis. The second would be the relay relaying the message to UMI and execute. The third one would be from UMI back to osmosis and confirm that receipt on osmosis. So you need three blocks just for that one borrowing. The thing is, maybe for borrowing is fine, but for, for other more complex things like, let's say swap, you want to send an asset and trade for another asset back. The thing is, if the process takes multiple blocks, you cannot precisely predict what's the outcome of that swap. You don't know exactly what how much asset you will get back. But we can think of many use cases where the application might need to know how much asset it will get back in order to perform the next step uh, actions. Overall, what I want to say is IBC is cool. IBC makes a lot of interchange interactions possible, but it's still much more challenging than if your protocol and the product it wants to interact with all states on the same chain. Like That's a fact. It's just not that easy to work with. So the model we opted for is that we are going to put Mars Lending Markets on many different chains as long as the chain satisfies some criteria, like it needs to have an Oracle, it needs to have demand for borrowing because it has DeFi activities, It needs to have sufficient liquidity for liquidation, et cetera. And osmosis is definitely the top candidate in the Cosmos ecosystem for that. And we're going to have these multiple markets on various chains, but then we come to the same issue that happens with Aave and Pound, which they have fragmented liquidity. So the solution is we're going to have an app chain that sits in the middle that coordinates all these assets if this uh, coordinates all those markets, right? So if this market, say, has an excess of USDC that has a lot of supply, not enough demand, the other market has a shortage of USDC, then the Mars app chain should be able to detect this and move the assets accordingly to uh, balance things out. That's the general idea.
0: So if I'm understanding this correctly, your new model is going to be one such that you're basically relaunching on Osmosis first just to kick it off, but then you're going to move on to building your own app chain. And that's going to be the sort of canonical source of all the activities in your money market. But you're also going to have multi-chain deployment across many other L1s, but have the hub act as the sort of beacon chain almost in the ETH2 concept. Am I understanding that that right?
1: Yeah, I think that's an accurate description of the design. So one thing in our design is that these, what we call Mars hub, you call beacon chain, it doesn't need to really exist because the osmosis market is fully functioning on its own. If we put a market on Juno, it should be fully functioning on its own. The only thing is that in absence of this beacon chain, the liquidity will not be able to, these markets will not be able to coordinate each other to move assets around. The purpose of adding this Mars hub chain in the middle is to coordinate these markets. But even if, say, all IBC relayers are offline, no IBC messages goes across, each of these what we call satellite markets should be able to function completely fine on their own.
0: Let's say that this Mars hub existed before the Terra blow up. Would you have been able to have a more seamless recovery plan? You know, would it have been more the devastation been more isolated to just the Terra blockchain rather than something that's more systemic to your entire protocol?
1: I'm interpreting your question as if the Mars hub is connecting all these markets, there was a risk of one market spread to all other markets.
0: I'm asking how would the Terra explosion, how would that have been different? To Mars, had you had the hub before the blow up and n- not just had your entire money market dependent on one
1: chain? Actually, I do believe we were already discussing Mars chain as an idea even before the blow up, right? It's not like, oh, Terra's dead, Mars protocol is, is shut down, we need to find a different idea. It's not like we are. Desperately trying to okay, that was
0: that. always part of the plan, even when you were on Terra.
1: At least we, we have been discussing it, although I think at the time we were more inclined to use the UMI model instead of this Mars Hub one, but we have always been discussing this as possible yeah. B2 or, like say, experimental exploration.
2: Yeah, I think we always saw uh, Terra as a first like outpost. I think ultimately a, a credit protocol needs to be wherever there's demand for leverage. And clearly there's demand for leverage in other places than, than Terra. So we were discussing the, the kind of optimal architecture for that. And I think, yeah, we had sort of doubts between whether we should have all assets sit on the hub chain or kind of as this new design, none of the assets sit on the hub chain. There's like practical reasons mainly to do with liquidations and stuff for why it makes more sense to, for why we, we decided this design makes more sense where basically nothing sits on the hub chain. And then in terms of risk, the risk part becomes really important because risk is shared amongst all the different outposts. That's also a benefit, right? Because it means that you can effectively use an asset on, on any outpost as collateral to, to kind of borrow one from another. And also that the borrowing, like smart contract borrowing can happen directly on on chains rather than, as Larry mentioned, have to go through these, these multiple hops. The risk stuff becomes really important. And that's why we've kind of put a lot of time into developing this open source risk framework, Consulted with a lot of different people in in the industry, and we also have um, some risk like experts at at Delphi that kind of work on this and are helping us think through some stuff to propose. That becomes super important.
0: I would be curious as to what sort of backstops you guys are thinking through, because you know if you have multiple different outposts, and as Larry alluded to, if any one of them goes through some sort of like mass extinction event similar to what happened with the UST, right? It wasn't just contained in the Terra chain because the liquidity was just in so many different pools and so many different sexes such that everyone became exit liquidity for UST holders. So you're probably gonna run into some sort of issue, catastrophic issue like that in the future. So what would be the sort of backstops that you guys are thinking through?
2: to Just like minimize Um, damage. In the case of, of like the, the Terra meltdown in, in money markets generally, the risk is basically not being able to liquidate a position right, such that it becomes underwater, so the collateral is, is worth less than the, than the debt. And that can happen because the debt like, balloons in, in, in value too fast for liquidators to update, or there's some oracle bug where, where it doesn't update or some manipulation, or because the collateral value goes to zero too quickly. In the case of even the Terra meltdown, I actually think it would have mostly been fine like liquidations happened in an, in an orderly fashion on Mars. Uh, the positions that needed to be liquidated were liquidated, and so other markets wouldn't actually have been affected by this that much. Now there were some problems uh, for sure. Like the the Oracle accounted for UST as as one dollar, and so when UST was trading uh, below the peg for a sustained period of time, it created sort of problems, and and there were other problems like that. And I think that's where the kind of toggles that the Martian Council has to has are whether the asset can be used as collateral. Right, what the LTV is, and then the the liquidation parameter. Aave did some really pioneering work on this in terms of coming up with some baselines for what this needs to be. We've sort of done our own simulations on this and kind of made some 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 adjustments to that. And then obviously for contract lending, a whole new other framework needs to be created. But I think if those parameters are set right, there's no reason why even a sort of a catastrophic chain blow up like Luna would actually sort of cause an insolvency event in the money market. The way that that's insured is to sort of make sure that the Martian council uh, or the people making these decisions who also have the upside have skin in the game. And so for Mars, it was designed such that there's obviously an, an insurance fund, which was denominated in UST, which was being grown through fees. So it wasn't that big yet. But then there was also the Martian council itself, which stakes and has like a locked stake. And if there's a shortfall event, They're actually, it's their ex-Mars, it's their Mars that's like auctioned off first, similar to the maker system to make users whole. And so they have both the upside of the system, but also the the downside and the skin in the game in case their decisions lead to bad sort of consequences. Those are the parameters basically that I don't think a chain blow up needs to be existential as long as the parameters are set right. And then it's about nailing the incentives for the governors to set those parameters right. And I think that's what, yeah, the Mars team tried to do.
0: Who is the Martian council?
2: The Martian Council is anyone who decides to stake their Mars for XMARS mars uh, and effectively lock it up for 14 days. And then that's the only way you can vote on governance decisions. And XMARS also accrues fees similar to, to X sushi So anyone can be a member of the, the Martian Council.
1: I'm actually thinking about the specific case of terror blowing up. I think actually having this Mars chain model actually make it safer, actually, perhaps because one of the st- uh, problem we had during the Terra blow up was that the Terra money market did not have enough Luna in the market to carry out liquidations because at the time, Luna was going down faster than UST did. So a lot of positions who are borrowing UST against LUNA collateral needs to be liquidated. And to carry out this liquidation, you need LUNA tokens to be available in the market. But at the time, a lot of LUNA tokens were borrowed away. So with, an issue was we, we didn't have enough LUNA in the market. We ultimately was able to source some Luna to cover this. But imagine if we had this Mars chain design, if we have a separate market on osmosis, for example, that has an excess of Luna, then Mars Hub could have potentially noticed the shortage of Luna on the Terra market and moved the excess Luna from osmosis to Luna to basically allows the liquidation process to go through and therefore secure the whole protocol to be solvent, right? So it actually could perhaps reduce the overall risk of the protocol. That's what I'm thinking.
0: I mean, how could you have done that without mass coordination with osmosis governance? Because in order to have taken the liquidity out of osmosis, you had to go through, again, like an emergency unbonding.
1: I mean, Luna deposited in Mars market on Osmosis, not not on Osmosis decks.
0: Is there anything that you guys can talk about Astroport, or is that something that is not really relevant to Mars?
2: We're still kind of deciding next steps for for Astroport. In the short term, the community has decided to launch Astroport on Terra V2, and so Astroport will, will be there. And then exploring... Kind of different cross-chain design, different potential places that, that Astroport can go. But um yeah, no super relevant news for now. I think the way that Mars used to interact with Astroport on, on Terra Classic is similar to how Mars will interact with Osmosis on Osmosis, right? Where it's facilitating leverage on both LPing and, and eventually trading as well.
0: Yeah, so my understanding correctly that it made sense for you guys to have Astroport continue on Luna V2 as a DAP, I suppose, without without a stable coin. And then for you to move Mars to osmosis because it has more liquidity and you could create a money market here. Are you able to talk about avatar?
2: Avatar again, I mean, the the idea, so like we are believers in like NFTs is facilitating kind of decentralized identity effectively. And specifically like the idea of non-transferable NFTs, which were recently kind of popularized in the Vitalik paper is is kind of soulbound NFTs. But we'd been working on this for a while with the idea that it can kind of create this emergent decentralized identity, right? Out of these sort of NFTs that you earn for, let's say, participating in a lock drop or being a big LP somewhere or being a valuable community member somewhere or having a Delphi research membership or passing KYC on some exchange, right? All of these can provide like these emergent data points about about a user and about a wallet, which can help just provide like data around who a wallet is, right? Effectively. And then- The idea with Avatar was that you could combine these visually and have sort of like a fingerprint of a user that you could see visually. The initial use case was kind of like a composable PFP. So you could have an Avatar, let's say like a Galactic Punk or something, and then you could equip, let's say Mars issues a hat to lock drop participants. You could equip like the Mars hat and then an Astroport badge or or, or something like that, or, or a hoodie or a Delphi hoodie, whatever it might be, and have these like composable kind of PFPs. Best way to think about it is just kind of like a, a fingerprint or a way to see a bunch of data about a wallet like visually. The idea initially was to launch on Terra, just given that Mars and Astroport were there. And, and so it made sense in terms of we could issuing NFTs there. And, and, and there was also a big network of projects that were that were interested in, in using this. But I think given what happened to Terra and like the lead that Ethereum has in terms of NFTs, probably makes sense for Avatar to, to move somewhere like EVM and then. We're working really closely with the Delphi research side because we're looking to do some, some cool stuff in terms of non-transferable NFTs there. So yeah, not, not much info what we're doing, but I think EVM is what we're considering most strongly right now.
0: And would that be an EVM chain in Cosmos or just straight Ethereum or an Ethereum L2?
2: I think it would be, probably be an Ethereum L2 at this point, or I think an Ethereum L2 is, is, is probably what, what makes the most sense. We'd probably consider deploying on Evmos as well if uh once that was live
0: is anyone from Mars protocol coming to osmocon
2: i believe so it, it actually overlaps with a sort of delphi like retreat that we've been reorganized for a while so uh, most of us are going to be in like there at that time but i do think we have one or two team members going so we'd love to, to hang out and we can set that up
0: when you guys do a retreat is that when all 120 people show up yeah really yeah that's yeah huge. that's
2: it last retreat there was like 50 of us or something it's grown a lot since this will be a big one it's it's been like a logistical ordeal to organize but yeah it's going to be 120 people showing up so we have a bunch of different rented out hotels and villas and all sorts and so we can be in the same place yeah and then everyone gets to meet and like hang out and cross. it's always really productive because we're fully remote like we've always been fully remote so a bunch of people that have been working together especially before the last retreat with where with COVID and stuff a bunch of people that have been working together for like years had never met. And you know, even people, yeah, the work really closely together speak every day had never met. So it was really cool. And then also you get to meet people on, on different parts of the business and create that relationship, which is the kind of high of mind is, is really the big value of Delphi. I think that everyone's just really deep in the weeds in their own areas. Everyone's super deep into crypto. And so there's a lot of like cross pollination of ideas and the research really powers a lot of what we do at labs. And then there's, for instance, when we were thinking about Astroport token economics or something. We have like researchers that have been covering convex and curve for like years. And so understand it really well and can help when we're thinking about Mars. We have people that are, that are experts in money markets. So there's all these synergies and like the retreat really helps bring that out. And it's just a lot of fun as well.
0: Yeah. That sounds like a great culture where just a bunch of smart people come and sit in the same room and then you just create some sort of ideas on a whiteboard. Yeah, That's where, yeah, that's that's where products, good products happen.
2: That's it. Yeah, that's how we see Delphi, really. They're just like, we want to be the best place for kind of smart people to come together and and build cool stuff in crypto. And everyone's, yeah, like all the different divisions are pretty much aligned in, in trying to do that.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Interchain FM, as always, I will read through the pages of white papers and condense only the alpha for you in a one hour long digest. Be sure to subscribe to Chango and Chain's YouTube channel to be up to date about the latest technology and never miss a live streamed episode.